Ever been uh, hit by a wave of disappointment? Something happens that you hope won't happen, but it does. Something you even know might happen, but you're hoping, you're praying, it doesn't, and when it does, ugh. That was Monday afternoon. Jane and I had just spent a great weekend away in Edmonton celebrating her birthday. We were driving home and uh, my ears were tuned into whatever local radio stations we could pick up. We wanted to hear the announcement that Alberta would be moving into phase three and the restrictions on worship would be lifted in time for Easter. That was not to be. Not that I was surprised, just that I was disappointed. And right now, I'm just feeling it big time that we've had over a year of this, and I just cannot describe how much I yearn to connect with you personally and worship and not just online. I'm so thankful that we're able to do this online. I mean, it was not that long ago that we couldn't, so this is awesome. But still, there's this sense that our church family is scattered and Many of us are tired and uh, still fearful for the future, confused about uh, conflicting health regulations and also the mental health issues that are on the rise and, and the devastating spiritual health issues that no one is talking about. All this is just wrecking me. Quite frankly, I'm struggling about the struggles so many of you are going through. I, I yearn to see you I just yearn to see God touch you at your point of need, and, and that's why we uh, so often are asking you to send in your prayer requests that God would touch you at your point of need. But one of the things that I've had to relearn in this pandemic is I'm not in control. The control really is an illusion. I have a life verse. It comes from the God-inspired wisdom of Solomon in the, in the book of Proverbs. I pray this almost every day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. The reason I pray that verse or make that commitment almost every day is, is I can be a bit of a control freak. I'm much better at this stage of my life and ministry than I was years ago, but that control freak in me likes to rear its ugly head if I'm not being prayerful and careful. And what this past year has driven home to me is that I am not in control, but I do know the one who is in control, complete control, and he will see me and all of us through this. Our God. He will see us through this as we trust in him who is in full control, as we submit to God in the middle of the mess that we can't figure out, but as we trust him, he will make our path straight. He will straighten this all out. Now, as I was thinking about and praying about this message, a, a quote came to mind from Craig Rochelle, who pastors a large multi-site church in the U.S. called Life Church. He says God can do way more with our surrender than he can with our control. So I went back and I listened to a talk that he gave on surrender and control, which has helped to shape a little bit of what I want to share with you today. But keep this phrase in mind as we go. God can do way more with our surrender than he can with our control. And yeah, and I think Solomon, who wrote the proverb that we just looked at, would agree. Now today is Palm Sunday. We're entering into what we call Easter week or Holy Week. This is the climax of the church calendar where we focus on the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. 
As a part of our entering into Holy Week together as a church family, we're going to wrap up this message by inviting you to celebrate communion together. You might want to grab some juice and bread so you can worship with us in that way at the end of the message. Maybe even if you can, just put this message in pause and go grab that, that stuff. But what strikes me about the story of Palm Sunday and Holy Week is the wild ride that Jesus went on. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as many are flocking to Jerusalem at the same time to celebrate the Jewish Passover festival. So many are ecstatic that Jesus has come to Jerusalem as well, the miracle worker. And the Apostle John writes the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. But things would go horribly wrong during that week. The Jewish religious leaders would put into motion a plan that would see Jesus arrested and put on trial before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, the, the rel Jewish religious leaders of Israel. Uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin, though, they had no legal authority, so they had Jesus off to stand before Pilate, the Roman governor of, of Jerusalem. Pilate figures out that Jesus is from Galilee, and heck, Herod, the governor of Galilee, is in Jerusalem for the Passover as well. So Pilate passes Jesus over to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Nobody wants to deal with Jesus' Jewish accusers. But in the process those Jewish religious leaders managed to stir the crowd that had hailed Jesus as the king of the Jews, as the king of Israel on Palm Sunday, to demand five days later to crucify him. Crucify him. Right? They, they mounted an effective social media campaign to cancel Jesus. And here's what we need to see. As Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he knew what he was getting into. He knew that by the end of the week, his physical life would be taken from him. He is aware of the pain, the agony, the torture that he was about to endure. He knew that the crowd who shouted Hosanna would soon shout crucify him, and yet he voluntarily went into Jerusalem knowing it all. Okay, let's move from Palm Sunday to what we call Holy Thursday, the, the night uh, of Jesus' Last Supper, just before his crucifixion. Jesus is gathered with his most intimate friends, having deep, heartfelt conversations with them, while in the back of his mind, he knows what's coming. Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of knew something bad was about to happen? Maybe you've been summoned to HR at a time of company downsizing, and, and your stomach just knots up. You just feel the tension throughout your body. I imagine that Jesus, in his humanness, was having that kind of experience as he sat at the table there with his closest friends. And then Jesus, he would take bread and he would break it. And you can imagine the emotion that he would have when he said, this bread, this bread is, is like my body, which is about to be broken for you. And then he held up a cup full of wine and said, in this cup is the blood of, of the new covenant. This, this represents my blood, which will be shed for you. Whenever you gather together for years to come, do this in remembrance of me, and we're going to do that in a few moments. But it boggles my mind that Jesus knew what he was about to endure. Then he took his disciples with him to a place called Gethsemane, which means the crushing. 
And he said to his closest friends, hey guys, you sit here and, and pray while I go off and pray by myself alone. Jesus needed some intimate time with his father. He, he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus here is using the strongest of metaphors. My soul is just overwhelmed with anxiety, with, with exhaustion. My, my soul, it aches. I'm grieving. I'm, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. The Apostle Luke writes, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He's in pure agony. Going a little further, he fell face to the ground. This is a posture of intense prayer, and he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but as you will. Now you may wonder, what is the cup? Uh, the cup was known as the cup of suffering. Jesus is praying, may what I'm called to endure in the next few hours, oh Father, would you remove that from me? I, I really don't want to go through that. I, I, I know what's coming. Father, I'm begging you. I'm, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. Uh, please, God, take this from me. He says, if it is possible, and then, he's, then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And do you realize that Jesus, as the second person of our triune God, he, he could have controlled this situation. There is no illusion of control when it comes to God, but Jesus, he, he surrendered control and submitted to the will of his Father. And if Jesus, who was in control, surrendered to his Father, how much more should we, who so often are not in control? Hey, how are you feeling now that we're well into the second year of COVID with Alberta Phase 3, uh, let alone Phase 4, nowhere in sight? With ominous predictions that a third wave and a far more damaging wave is coming, you feeling good and in control? Yeah, some of us, we're putting our hopes in vac vaccines, but then vaccine supply is far from guaranteed. Others are holding back on vaccines, some waiting to see if they're as benign as the government and manufacturers are telling us. Vaccines do offer hope, but we just don't know all the details. Um, scientists vary in their opinions, and so we get confused in the middle of it all, but still, some of us are seeing light flickering at the end of the tunnel, but maybe only at best a flicker? When will we be legally able to have family and friends into our homes to celebrate and do life together? What I see right now in our city and across the country is an increased sense of sorrow and grief. And that sense of grief continues over those who've been sick and those who've lost jobs and had salaries reduced. I mean, all of that is huge. But even more so, we're grieving our loss of control over our lives, the, the loss of rights and freedoms. I, I used to be able to do what I wanted to do, and now there's so much that I can't do. I mean, the list is huge. You used to be able to go to a movie when you wanted to, uh, enroll your kids in hockey and go cheer them on at a game. Several of you in our church family have postponed weddings. Some of you have not properly celebrated the life of a loved one who has passed away. Some of you can't see your parents or have your own family into your own home. We send our kids to school only to have them sent back home for a time of isolation. Vacations. Yeah, vacations out of the country, even some places within the country. They're a no-go 
and the list goes on and on. So technically, we're, we're grieving the loss of control in our lives, but truth be told, what we're grieving is the illusion that we actually have control when we never have really had all that much control. What is the illusion of control? A study out of the University of California, Los Angeles, defines it this way. The cognitive bias that leads us to believe that we have control over an outcome that we really don't. It's the bias to think that we can control, can control more than we actually do control. Yeah, there are actually people who study our need to be in control and the illusion that we're in control. And they're telling us that we overestimate our ability to control what really is a bunch of uncontrollable events like a pandemic, a flood, a wildfire, and it's a big problem for many of us. Here's what some of us, or what's happening with some of us who are into control. The more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control, and the more we're afraid of losing control, the more we try to control, and the more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control, and the cycle continues, and sometimes as we're in that cycle, it does damage to the people we live with. I think there are many people watching this service today who are grieving the loss, not just of real control, but of the illusion that we're in control. And on that Holy Thursday, at that Last Supper, Jesus offers us a prayer before God that shows the most powerful words of surrender, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus didn't just pray that once, he prayed it three times. And after praying the first time, he came back to his disciples only to find them all asleep. But then he goes and prays again. Why pray again? Because surrender is not a one-time event. Sometimes you have to go back to get it right. And Jesus goes a second time and prays, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he prays hard. And then he returns to his disciples who once again have fallen asleep. Okay, I get it. It's hard to pray and it's easy to sleep, right? Have you ever fallen asleep praying? Confession, I have. Okay, Jesus goes back a third time and prays another prayer, a prayer of surrender. Matthew says, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He's praying, Father, if there's another way of doing this, I'd I'd love to do it a different way, yet not my will but yours be done. So to all of you fellow control freaks grieving the loss of this illusion of control we have, here's the truth that you and me need to embrace. You don't always have the power of control, but you always have the power of surrender. During a a season like this, uh, a question that is often asked of me is, where is God in the middle of all the mess? Where is God in the middle of COVID? In other words, did did God cause this? Is this a punishment for what someone did? Did God allow it? Is is God going to use it? Can Can I trust him in the middle of this? I mean, where is God when I find life to be so hard? As I wrestle with questions like this that get thrown at me, this is... This is where I find God gently whispering into my life uh, the words of my life verse. Things like, yeah, Doug, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. 
I cannot control the situation I find myself in, but I can surrender my life to Jesus. I I can trust him to get me through this mess one way or another. I don't need to understand it all, but I do need to trust and surrender. There's another great quote that I often hang on to that I don't know who first said it, but these are words also that God brings back to me when when I'm struggling a little bit, and I think it might be a word for many who are listening and watching right now. Never doubt in the dark what God has taught you in the light. Let me say that again. Never doubt in the dark what God has taught you in the light. It's a powerful truth. It's It's really just Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in another way there. Okay, for the last several weeks, we've been in a series of messages called The Wild Goose, where we were looking at the wild and unpredictable ways that the Holy Spirit leads in our lives, as we looked at early church leaders like Stephen and Peter and Barnabas and Paul. And as we studied these early church leaders, it became really clear to us, God's will is rarely easy, but it's always good. It may not feel good in the moment, but Our God is working in all things to bring about good to those who love them, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. His word is rarely easy, but it's always good, and it certainly wasn't easy at all for Jesus. Jesus, he he never wronged anyone. He was completely without sin, holy and perfect in every way. He, He was betrayed by one of his own, handed over, beaten without mercy. They forced him to carry his cross, drove stakes through his wrists and through his feet, and they hung an innocent man who did nothing but love. They hung him on a cross. What's interesting is Jesus did have the power to take control. He could have called a bunch of legions of angels. Hey, if that had been me, I would have commanded a thousand of them to wipe those guys out. Boom, gone, yes. Yeah, Jesus could have taken control. But instead, he chose surrender. And what did he do? You know, when the creation, that's people like you and me, uh, when creation was mocking their creator, he looked up to heaven, scorning the shame of the cross, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then he said, it is efficient, it is finished. I have done what you've sent me to do. And in the ultimate act of surrender, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his life. And at that, the world went dark, the earth shook, the temple veil ripped, and the disciples scattered. God's will is not always easy. But three days later, God showed that his will is always good. Because our God raised Jesus from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the power of the grave. In a moment. We're going to celebrate communion, as you see on the table beside me. Because before there was salvation, there was the sacrifice of Jesus to his Father for our salvation. It wasn't easy, but our God is good. And why did God do this? So that anyone, and that includes you, wherever you are, could call on the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, the name by which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And what will our God in heaven do? He will forgive your sins. He will heal your brokenness. 
He will remove your shame. He will make you brand new. Not just a better version of you. You'll be different. The old is gone because of the amazing grace of the goodness of God. Our God did something for you that you could never do for yourself. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't be righteous enough. And that's why God sent Jesus, who was without sin, who became sin for us. And all of that is pictured by the communion table that has been set for us. But before we go to communion, let me wrap up and ask, what are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender? Is it a relationship where they have to do what you want them to do? Maybe it's your health, your finances, your job, your kids. Maybe there's something coming out of the pandemic that you need to release to God. You know, we live in a world that tells you, take control, you be in charge, you make it happen. But Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And in the middle of a pandemic where you and me both have been confronted by the illusion of control, I have discovered, and I pray that you will discover as well, that God can do, may, God can do way more with our surrender than he can with our control. So whatever you're trying to control that isn't yours, give it to God. His will is not always easy, but it's always good. And he's always good. Jesus suffered, he died, and God raised him from the dead. And because of that, I worship a good heavenly father who will never leave you or forsake you. You don't always have the power to control but you always have the power to surrender. With all of that as a background, let's celebrate communion together. Let's remember Jesus' death on the cross for us. And as we do, I want us to remember these words from the Apostle Paul as we seek to imitate Jesus and his surrender. The Apostle Paul writes, he's writing this in Philippians. It's, a, it's considered a, a hymn, a very early hymn in the life of the church and in it we read have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus' willingness to surrender his life for us, his willingness to surrender to the will of his Father, has brought us life. Life where we can flourish now, even in the midst of a pandemic, and life that will go on forever and eternity with Jesus. As you participate in communion, what is God asking you to surrender? Jesus surrendered his life, so that we could live, what is he asking you to surrender so that you might flourish as well? Let's pray for the bread and give thanks, and then we'll partake together as an act of worship. Father God, I thank you for this bread that represents the broken body of Jesus, nailed to the cross on our behalf, and that he voluntarily went to the cross as an act of surrender so that we might have life. Oh God, as we eat this bread, 
we say thank you for your death, for your surrender on our behalf. And we make a commitment in turn to give our lives back to you, that you would fill us and empower us, that you would make us flourish in ways that we never dreamed as possible. So Father, we take bread as an act of worship and remembrance, and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take a piece of bread as we eat and remember together? Let's pray for the juice. Lord Jesus Christ, you knew what you were walking into when you went to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. You knew what lay before you that Thursday night and on that Good Friday. Hallelujah, what a savior. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. And I thank you that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. So I thank you that our sins are forgiven as we ask you to apply your blood to our lives. As we confess our sins, you are faithful to cleanse us because of what you did on the cross and your shed blood. And so we drink as an act of worship and remembrance, so thankful for the surrender of your life, the shedding of your blood, that we might live now and forever. We give thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Let us drink and worship together.